Hey, remember when Joe Biden said that he had never talked to his son, Hunter, about Hunter's corrupt overseas business dealings? President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. And what I will do is the same thing we did in our administration. There will be an absolute wall between personal and private uh, and, and, and the government. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business? Yes, I stand by that statement. I did not know he was on the board of that company. I've never discussed my business or their business, my sons or daughters. I never discussed a single thing with my son about anything having to do with Ukraine. No, okay. Well, turns out all those many times Joe said that it was all a lie, that story fell apart after Hunter accidentally admitted in print first and then later in a filmed interview the very words that Joe said while they were talking about his business deals. Did you and your father ever discuss Ukraine? No. As I said, the only time was after a news account. It wasn't a discussion in any way. There's no but to this. No, we never did. Your dad said, I hope you know what you're doing. I hope you know what you're doing. I do. And I said, I do. And that was literally the end of our discussion. That was it. No, we never, ever talked about it once. The only time was, hold on, no, there's no but. No, sorry. I, we know we never talked about it. But you said you talked about it. Yeah, okay, we talked about it. But it was it was just, it was a little bit. It wasn't a lot. So, okay, then the story was they talked about the business deals, but only briefly. And nobody believed that story either. But that story officially fell apart yesterday when Hunter's business partner, Devin Archer, testified behind closed doors that Joe not only spoke to Hunter about the crooked deals, but was in fact present on phone calls on which the crooked deals were being ironed out. A bunch of details on specific calls are available in all sorts of news reports from yesterday. The evidence is apparently so damning that Democrats aren't even trying to deny it. So the best story they've come up with now, care of Democrat Congressman Daniel Goldman, is okay, Biden knew about the deals, and okay, Biden talked about the deals with Hunter, and okay, Biden was actually on the phone calls talking to the crooks with whom Hunter was making the deals, but they only talked about the weather. So to confirm, you're saying that the speakerphone conversations, they don't seem concerning to you because there was no specifics about business, and it just seemed like it was clear about- that It was clear that it was as part of the daily conversations that Hunter Biden had with his father. Um, and it was, and, and sounded like most of the time, uh, now President Biden didn't even know who the people he was at dinner. He was just asked to say hello. Uh, and he would, you know, talk about the, the way, he described it several times. They asked over and over and over. He described what the weather was, how, uh, how what's going on on your end. He, the, the witness was very, very consistent that none of those conversations ever had to do with any business dealings or transactions. They were purely what he called casual conversations. Humana, 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 humana. They were just talking about the weather. Now that story fell apart after Devin Archer revealed that Joe didn't just pop in on a call or two. 
happened to be walking by, something like that, but that Joe was actually present on more than 20 of Hunter's crooked business calls. Wow, what are the odds? A lot of coincidences, which means that either Joe Biden has a lot of very strong opinions on the weather or that he was actively involved in Hunter's business, which has now led to the Democrats' latest story, which has now fully transformed from Biden was not and would never have been involved in Hunter's crooked business deals to of course Biden was involved as well he should be. President's statements saying that he never talked to any of Hunter Biden business associates. Clearly, he talked whether about the weather or whatever, but he said specifically that he's never talked to them. Doesn't this contradict? Them? I, I don't know what his comment is, and if we're gonna, well, I don't, I don't think that's what he said. He never said that he has never spoken to anyone. He said that he had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business dealings. If he says hello to someone that he sees his son with, well, is he supposed to say, hi, son? Oh, no, I'm not going to say hello to the other people at the table or the other people on the phone. It's kind of a preposterous premise to think that a father should not say hello to people that the son are at dinner with, the son is at dinner with. And that is literally all the evidence is. And so, I mean, what was Joe Biden going to do? What was he going to do? Not talk to Hunter about his business dealings, like he said? Or what? Or not say hello to Hunter's crook friends at dinner? Or what? Not get on over 20 phone calls with Hunter and the crooks that they were shaking down for millions of dollars in exchange for American influence? What do you think Joe Biden is? Honest? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. The new Snow White lady, she's, she's sand beige. She's, she's sandy taupe or something. She is uh, going off about how Snow White is extremely dated. We will get to not just the Snow White controversy, but what it means for something to be dated in our day and age. First though, I don't want to move on too quickly past the Ukrainians, not only the ones who paid the Bidens millions and millions of dollars, but the Ukrainians who are trying to drag us into World War III. Vladimir Zelensky, the leader of Ukraine, has now declared that it is absolutely fair to bring the war in Ukraine to the Russian homeland. This is in the wake of uh, another drone attack on Moscow. Zelensky says absolutely fair for his forces to attack targets within the Russian mainland. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's fair. Russia invaded Ukraine after all, right? So it's fair for the Ukrainians to defend themselves and to take the war to the Russians, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it is. Whose weapons is Zelensky going to be using to carry out those attacks? Is it going to be his weapons that he bought and that he built and that he's fun? No, it's going to be our weapons. And so the question that we have to ask Zelensky and the rest of the world is, do we want Ukraine to be using our weapons and our money, since we are the only reason that Ukraine has been able to continue this war past week two, do we want our military assets being used to wage a war on the homeland of a nuclear former superpower? 
something that we managed to avoid for the entirety of the Cold War. Post-World War II, we've now got nuclear weapons in play. We managed to avoid this for the very, very tense Cold War for the second half of the 20th century. And now this punk in Ukraine is demanding and has been demanding month after month after month that we, the funders of his side of the war, squander all of that and get into a hot firing war on the Russian mainland. For what? For what? What's the goal? What is the U.S. interest here and what is the goal? Do we, do we want regime change in Russia? Do, why? Why? Do you know who's going to come after Putin? Do we have any evidence whatsoever that deposing Vladimir Putin will make the situation any better and will help the United States? No. Why? So that Ukraine can maintain its territorial boundaries from when? From 2020? From 2014? From when? We're talking about a thousand-year territorial conflict here. Why? So that the Zelensky government can remain in power? Do we care? I don't care about Vladimir Zelensky at all. Why? Why would, we, why would we follow this guy into World War III? It, guaranteed, if the United States is waging a war on the Russian mainland, we're just in World War III. Why would we do that? Well, because it's fair. I don't want to hear about fair from Vladimir Zelensky. If fair means that we're going to end up in a global, very likely nuclear conflict for who knows how many years, what I would like to do is wind the war down, which is going to require concessions from both sides. It's going to require some diplomacy. It's going to have to require accepting the real political circumstances, not just slogans and idealism and little blue and yellow flags and Twitter handles. And as always, it's going to require prayer. And when you are looking for ways to improve your prayer life, perhaps you ought to check out Hallow. Right now, head on over to hallow.com slash Knowles. It is clear that the libs are giving up their morals and any common sense. I'm not sure they ever had any. Well, there's no better time to build a daily habit of prayer and meditation. Building a habit of prayer can help you cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Focusing on what you are thankful for can increase positive emotions and improve overall well-being. But the main reason to pray and meditate is because it's an obligation that you owe to God. <laughs> Hallow is the number one Christian prayer app in the United States. It has helped a ton of people maintain a daily prayer routine, and it can help you too. Download the app for free at hallow.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. You can set prayer reminders, track your progress along the way. Not sure where to start? Check out Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a Year, available on the Hallow app for brief daily readings and reflections. Or pray alongside Mark Wahlberg, Jim Caviezel, and even some world-class athletes with Hallow you can customize a personal prayer plan that works for you. Right now, download Hallow at hallow.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Get an exclusive three months for free. That is three months absolutely free at hallow.com slash Knowles. Speaking of questioning our leaders, presidential candidate Nikki Haley has a suggestion for a way to improve our political order, and that would be mental competency tests for the old guys running the show. 
when I was talking about the grandchildren, what I was saying is that we need to have term limits in Congress and we need to have mental competency tests for anyone over the age of 75. And I don't say that to be disrespectful. When you go and you look at Biden and you and you ask him what country he was in the week before and he can't say it, when you go and ask him how many grandchildren mm -hmm. he has and he doesn't know, when you go and see him falling asleep with leaders, that's concerning. That is concerning. And I really like Nikki Haley personally. Uh, this is not a good idea because we already have a mental competency test for all of our politicians of every age. And that competency test is called an election. And the competency test takes place at the ballot box. And I'm sure many people share this, this view that Joe Biden is way too old. Doesn't really seem like Trump is too old, even though Trump is quite up there in terms of age, you know, as he described himself, he's a young, virile, vigorous man. Uh, but Biden can barely state his own name. He wanders around. He doesn't know which end is up. Uh, nevertheless, we have a competency test. It's called an election. We should probably make sure that our elections are uh, legit, <laughs> that our elections actually reflect the desires of voters and not the people who want to tinker with them. But if we were to add some new qualification for the presidency on top of the constitutional limits, all that would do is empower the tinkerers and the bureaucrats and the deep staters and the careerists and the staffers. There is a reason why the Constitution sets up fairly minimal requirements to run for office. And that's to prevent the people who are in power publicly or behind the scenes from keeping fresh blood out of the system. The fact that we don't have these little tests added to the requirements is why Donald Trump could run for president from prison. Because the Congress doesn't have the right to impose more restrictions on what it takes to run for president than the framers of our constitution did. I'm not denying that there's a problem with Joe Biden not being able to speak and being the president of the United States. The solution to that is not going to be to further empower the tinkerers and the social engineers and the deep staters and the clever behind the scenes people who played a big role in installing Biden in the first place. Speaking of presidential candidates, Rolling Stone is wrong again. Isn't that surprising? Rolling Stone has this headline, DeSantis's donors want more than a reboot. They want him to clean house. Some of the governor's backers see a staff that is too online, but others are starting to ask if the real problem is DeSantis himself. You might recall, I happen to remember, that a Rolling Stone was one of the first outlets to brazenly libel me after my CPAC speech and say that I said something that I didn't say. And eventually they had to back down, I assume because their lawyers made them. So the Rolling Stone is not known for its high journalistic standards. But here, what's wrong is not that they've libeled anybody. It's just a typically uh, brain dead take on politics. Everyone is trying to begin the post-mortem of the DeSantis campaign, even though we're still early on and DeSantis still has a shot to get the nomination. And so they're all trying to figure out what went wrong. Is it his staffers? Oh, if only he had different staffers. That's the problem. Now Rolling Stone, because the liberal journalists hate DeSantis personally. So, oh, maybe it's just DeSantis himself. He's too stiff. He's not likable. He's this, he's that, whatever. Guys, you're overthinking it. You're overthinking this. Ron DeSantis' staff is fine. Ron DeSantis is a very strong candidate, obviously. He's an extremely talented politician. He's a good governor of Florida. He's number two in the polls, at least for now. And even as his campaign has begun to falter, he started out really 
a very strong number two in the polls. Now, as he's failed to move up and take on number one, you're seeing another candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, start to creep up there on him too. But in any other cycle, Ron DeSantis would be the clear away front runner in this race. And everyone would be be praising his staff and everybody would be talking about how he's a generational, brilliant candidate and no one can touch him. The problem for DeSantis is not the staff, it's not the donors, it's not the candidate, it's Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who is a once in a generation political talent, who is running for all intents and purposes as the incumbent in this race. Because Trump seeking a non-consecutive second term is something that none of us has seen in our lifetime. We haven't seen it since 1888. And Trump, maybe you hate him, maybe you love him. He is a once in a generation political talent. He won the highest office in the land without ever having held any public office whatsoever, including dog catcher. He won the highest office in the land the first time that he fully pulled the trigger on running. He'd flirted with running for a long time, but the first time he ever really pulled the trigger, ever really ran an earnest campaign, he won. He's a major political talent. He attracted people to the GOP that no one has attracted since Ronald Reagan. He maybe put some people off too. He maybe lost the 2020 election. Maybe he didn't, (laughs) But, but maybe he did. Maybe he did. And maybe he allowed the political circumstances to spiral out of control such that they were able to change all of the election laws in the weeks and months before the election and and steal it from him. People are always trying to steal elections, especially the libs. And so maybe you say, well, I blame Trump. Even if they did steal it, I blame Trump for letting them steal it. Okay, blah, 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 whatever. Maybe you hate the guy. Maybe you hate the guy. But you cannot deny he is an American original. We have not seen a politician like him in our lifetimes. We haven't seen a politician like him in a hundred years at least. That's DeSantis's problem. That's it. That's all it comes down to. You don't need to blame the guy and say he's always oh, a terrible politician. Oh, he's a deep state rhino establishment. It's none of those things. Oh, his staff, they're just uniquely terrible. They're not. The staff is fine. The problem is now and always was the unique circumstance of Donald Trump running in 2024. If there is going to be a postmortem, and again, DeSantis could still get the nomination. We don't know what is going to happen in the next few months. They're going to indict Trump in every, all 57 states that Barack Obama re- recognized. They're going to, they're, I don't know, they're going to indict Trump on planet Mars. Who knows? But if there is going to be a postmortem, everyone's going to try to ex post facto discover all sorts of things about the DeSantis campaign and the candidate and blah, blah, blah. Guys, it's just Trump. It's just, it's been about Trump for seven years. And a, a lot of people want to deny his uniqueness as an American political figure. And they do that to their own detriment and to the effect of writing really silly takes that that do not get to the truth here. So Trump is capitalizing on his huge lead. I mean, one poll has him up at like 54% in the GOP primary. Not only double digits way ahead of his rivals, but more than 50% of of the primary voters. Trump is capitalizing on this and he's calling for other candidates to drop out. Every dollar spent attacking me by Republicans is a dollar given straight to the Biden campaign, if he makes it. I don't know if he's going to make it. Who thinks he's going to be the candidate? Every dollar spent attacking me is a dollar given to Biden. And he he says, he says, the other candidates, they need to drop out of this race. 
And I see why Trump would say that, especially now while he's flying high in the polls. But the political reality is there is no reason for DeSantis to drop out of this race. DeSantis has already killed himself and killed any shots that he's got being appointed in a Trump administration. That's over. He'll get, if, if Trump approaches him at all, if Trump somehow becomes the president and approaches him at all, he'll get the Mitt Romney treatment. He'll play around with him like a cat with catnip. So DeSantis, the, the, the die is cast. He's just got to keep running. Pence, same thing. What, what else is Pence going to do? He's, he has no reason to get out of the race. Christie, He's got no reason to get out of the race. He's come out against Trump too. What's his political future? Nothing. So he's going to stay in the race. Same with Vivek. Vivek, for a little different reason though, Vivek hasn't really gone after Trump. Vivek came out of nowhere, came out of left field, and he has proved himself to be an extremely compelling political talent. Who would have thought that some Yale law pharma guy who's a Hindu with the name Ramaswamy would become a major player, could very soon become the number two guy in the GOP race. That tells you that this guy's got a message that is resonating, that he's really, really sharp, and that he's a a very strong political talent. So he's going to continue to prove himself in that field, especially if he doesn't keep going after Trump or doesn't hit Trump too hard. He's got all the reason to stay in the race. The the rest of the candidates probably ought to drop out if they want to roll in a potential Trump administration. That's true. But at least for one, two, three, four candidates, there's no reason for them to get out yet, which means we're going to have some debates. When you want to debate issues with your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, head on over to puretalk.com slash Knowles. You know a company is looking out for you and they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it. This is great news for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and includes a mobile hotspot with no price increase whatsoever. If you've considered Pure Talk before but have not made the switch, take a look again. For just 20 bucks a month, you'll get unlimited talk, text, and now 50% more 5G data, plus their new mobile hotspot. This is why I love Pure Talk. They're veteran-owned, and they only hire the best customer service team located right here in the great U.S. of A. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Remember, you vote with how you spend your money. So stop supporting woke wireless companies that don't support you. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Save an additional 50%, 50% off your first month because they value you. That is puretalk.com slash Knowles. Pure Talk, wireless for Americans, by Americans. When Dr. Jordan B. Peterson made the decision to join Daily Wire Plus, it was a major win for people who champion intellectual debate. With one year of unparalleled output, his contributions have set new standards and remained unmatched by any other platform. Daily Wire Plus now has a vast array of exclusive Jordan content offering hundreds of hours of captivating content you will not find anywhere else. Jordan has created thought-provoking works that reshape your perspective on life, which include vision and destiny, marriage and dragons and monsters and men and a lot of other things that we can add in a series of parentheses and commas. Additionally, you can immerse yourself in discussions that nurture your spiritual side, such as Logos and Literacy and Jordan's groundbreaking series on the book of Exodus. That's only the beginning. I have not even mentioned his Beyond Order lecture series or his extensive archive of lectures and podcasts. This is the compendium of all things Jordan. Plus, there's even more new exclusive content on the horizon. This is only the beginning. By becoming a Daily Wire Plus member, you will embark on an unforgettable experience that will fuel your thirst for knowledge and inspire personal growth like never before. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member today. Speaking of knocking people out, 
The Congress is trying to tinker with the Supreme Court. They've been trying to pack the court for a long time. Now they're trying to get the judges to recuse themselves from all sorts of cases, only the conservative judges, of course. Now they're trying to attack the character of the conservative judges. They've been doing that with Clarence Thomas for 30 years. Now they're especially focusing in on Sam Alito because Sam Alito wrote the opinion in the Dobbs case that overturned the fake right to abortion in America. So they're going after Alito and they're threatening. They're saying if the Supreme Court conservatives don't adopt a particular code of ethics that we want them to adopt, and then we're going to impose it on the Supreme Court, which is leading us to our latest constitutional crisis. And once again, Sam Alito, absolute rock star of a jurist, comes out and he says, no. And he doesn't just say, no, we're not going to do this. He says a really important observation. He says, Congress has no right to regulate the Supreme Court. No right specifically to force the Supreme Court to adopt some code of ethics. The Supreme Court does not ultimately answer to the Congress. He notes, quote, Congress did not create the Supreme Court. The Constitution did. He said, I know this is a controversial view, but I'm willing to say it. No provision in the Constitution gives them the authority to regulate the Supreme Court, period. I really like that Justice Alito made this point, in particular because I made this point a week ago, and I'm glad that someone who knows what he's talking about agrees with me. You never know. I don't know. I didn't go to law school. I don't know. I've never argued a case before the Supreme Court. But I made the same point. I said, if the Congress asserts this control over the Supreme Court, one, how are they going to enforce it? Are you going to get Nancy Pelosi to go hobble over to the Supreme Court and start you know, haranguing the justices? I don't think so. But two this would create a constitutional crisis. You know, sometimes, this is a little out of left field, but it'll, it'll loop back. I have joked, is it a joke? About the Jacobite line of succession. I've said that it was a very terrible thing in English political history when William and Mary of Orange came over from the Netherlands and took the throne from James II. James II, who became king, he was the last Catholic monarch of England, and he became king after Charles II died. Charles II was a Protestant, and he had a deathbed conversion to Catholicism, and this created a crisis because a lot of the Protestants were not happy about a Catholic monarch. So what happened? This is what happened. I've got all sorts of views on the Jacobite line of succession and what it means today and who's the pretender to the throne and blah, 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 but that's a a topic for another day. The reason that this matters for American Uh, politics is the way that James II was deposed is that parliament parliament exercised more authority than they had. And parliament established parliamentary supremacy to say, effectively, we get to pick the monarch. And they booted James II out and they invited those Protestant Dutch interlopers over William and Mary of Orange and installed them on the throne. And forget about the Catholic versus Protestant debate. Forget about the James II versus William and Mary debate. It's a question of who has the power in the government. Is it going to be a balanced government? Are there going to be checks on the authority of one part of the government over another part of the government? Is it going to be an inversion of the traditional understanding of that power? Does parliament just run the whole show? If the U.S. Congress can bring the Supreme Court justices to heel, then we don't really have three branches of government. We've got it most Two, because the Supreme Court will become a subsidiary of Congress. 
And if anybody thinks that would be a good thing in the United States, I would encourage you to open your eyes and take a look at Congress. Speaking of old institutions, very old, not just old like the Supreme Court, not just old like the British monarchy, old like Snow White, 1937. The new Snow White lady, who is, who is notably not white, so we call her Sand Beige, San, Sandy Tope. Uh, this lady is uh, thrilled that they're remaking Snow White, not just in the new casting decisions, but remaking the whole movie because she says that Snow White is dated. The cartoon was made 85 years ago, and therefore it's extremely dated when it comes to the ideas of women being in roles of power and, uh, and what a woman is fit for in the world. And so when we came to reimagining the actual role of Snow White, it became about the fairest of them all, meaning who is the most just and who uh, can become a fantastic leader. And the reality is, you know, Snow White has to learn a lot of lessons about coming into her own power before she can come into power over a kingdom. Also, the fact that she's not going to be saved by the prince and she's the proactive one and she's the one who set the terms um, is what makes it so relevant to where we are today. Not even going to comment on the way that they've rewritten the script to take out all those terrible things like beauty and love. You know, who wants Snow White with beauty and love when we can talk about girl bosses? Isn't that captivating? Can't you wait to just run out to the theaters and get your popcorn? And No, I don't think so. Forget that for a second. She says they rewrote the story because Snow White is extremely dated. Dated. What does that mean to be dated? She's saying it like it's a bad thing. It's bad to be dated. Isn't it only bad for a thing to be dated if the time that we're living in is better than the time that the dated thing existed in? In other words, if if we were living in, in this wonderful age where everyone was thriving and things were beautiful and just and good and virtuous. And, and then you looked back at, at some uh, other time in history and you pointed to some vestige of that and you said, oh, that's so dated from that time. And that other time was a really awful, terrible time where everything was ugly and decaying and vicious and evil. And, well, then, then it would be bad for something to be dated to that time. But what if the time that we were living in right now is worse by almost every measure than the time to which this thing we're criticizing is dated. Then dated would be a good thing. And then we'd say, oh, that's so dated from this much better time that can maybe give us a guidepost as to how to get out of the, the dumb age that we're living in. By virtually every measure, by virtually every measure, 1937, was a better time that was more conducive to human flourishing and virtue than today is. And and we can look through all the social scientific data on this. We're not having any kids anymore. The, The civilization is literally dying. People are much more depressed. People are much more anxious. The suicide rates are much higher. People are reporting much lower rates of happiness and satisfaction. You look at all the social science. And then you look at the harder facts, which we see a little bit in people were having bigger families. People were, were uh, 
building beautiful things. The culture was physically more beautiful. You had better buildings, better artwork coming up. You had, you had people, therefore, a little more hopeful about the future. What you're always going to hear when you bring that up is people are going to say, yeah, but you know, back in the past, there were separate water fountains for white and black people. or something. They'll point to some bad thing, some sort of unpleasant feature of the past. They'll say, see, and, and if, in the case of 1937, that's pretty much it. This is before World War II, got the end of the Great Depression on the horizon. And by the way, material hardship is not, not intrinsically immoral or anything like that. But, but even then, yeah, you say, okay, well, what about that, huh? Back, in, back then, they had different water fountains for white and black people. Okay, now we kill 800,000 babies a year. Now we chop little kids' genitals off. Now we don't have any hope for the future or any patriotism. The rates of those things are declining precipitously. Now we don't have national borders. Now we don't speak the same language. Now we, now we this, now we that. Oh, did I mention we kill 800,000 babies a year? You're really going to tell me? Oh, no, we're living in the best time. You just don't understand. This is what the liberals always say. The liberals on the left and even the liberals on the right, the, the kind of center-right people, oh, come on, let's stop complaining. We're living in the, the best time. They often adopt the premises and the language of the left. No. 1937, America had its act much more together than it does now. Snow White is dated? Yeah, I guess so. Let's go watch that movie. Maybe we can learn a thing or two. Speaking of signs of the times and social science, some good news. Finally, high school boys are becoming more right-wing. This according to a new survey out from the Monitoring the Future survey. This is a scholarly endeavor that dates back about 50 years. Uh, The boys are becoming more conservative. The 12th grade girls are becoming more liberal. So, Good news and bad news. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. But, but the, the trend, at least for the boys, is in the right direction. Why is this happening? I think this is happening in part because we've destroyed marriage and the notion that, that boys and girls are complementary. So rather than boys and girls moving closer and closer together, recognizing how they fit together, and uh, <laughs> Is that euphemistic or is that, uh, no, it's, it's metaphorical as well, that, that uh, recognizing that we each have something to add and men really need women and women really need men and we're going to move together and become one flesh and, and be of one mind. Uh, the libs have destroyed marriage. And so when women get married, they become more conservative. When, and, and maybe men moderate some of their extremism too. When they stay apart, then they move in opposite directions. This is why a society with a proper understanding of marriage will be more conservative, and a society that disregards marriage and abolishes marriage and redefines it is going to become more liberal. We've just seen that in real time. Also, also, everyone's going to give their hot take on why the, the young boys are becoming more conservative right now. My hot take as to why this is happening is because we're living in a world that is more virtual. Kids are not going out and climbing trees as much. They're not racing fast cars as much. They're not going on physical adventures as much. The society is becoming much more focused on computers and video games and staying in your apartment and consuming content. And it's just not as vigorous and physical as it used to be. And so because young boys are inclined toward extreme behavior and risky behavior that's just in our DNA, the, 
the, the way that that is instantiated in this more virtual reality type culture is going to be through risky and edgy and controversial intellectual pursuits rather than just physical ones. That's why. To be a conservative today is to question and to oppose the entire regime, the entire liberal establishment, which controls every institution. To do that is risky. It's edgy. It's extreme. It's countercultural. It's rebellious. It's all the things that young men always are. But whereas in the past, they would have gone out and smoked cigarettes and gotten drunk and driven motorcycles and and, I don't know, gone womanizing. And but all the surveys show us young men are not doing that as much as they used to. Even with the hookup culture, they're having less sex with fewer women. So all that edginess, all that rebelliousness, all that risky behavior, that's going to be more intellectual. It's going to be more in the life of the mind. And what does that mean in a culture such as ours? In a very liberal culture, it means you become more right-wing. So that's the silver lining in a storm cloud. Now, my favorite comment yesterday is from DC Zelenak 060, who says, I am become feminism, destroyer of the family. Barbie 2023. I love that because in a matter of about four hours, I am going to see Barbie. I'm going to meet up with sweet little Elisa we are going to watch Barbie, uh, even though it's the middle of the workday. And we're going to do that because there is a backstage tonight. And I know Ben hates Barbie. And so if Ben hates something, I have to assume that I will like it. But I don't know. I don't know. I've also heard from uh, a lot of people that it's terrible. I've heard from a lot of people that it's good. I just don't know. I just don't know what to think about it. So I'm going to go watch it before backstage. And we will discuss. We will have the real debate. Forget aliens for a second. We'll probably have to talk about that too. But we'll have the real debate that is roiling the Daily Wire, we will discuss Barbie. Speaking of the extreme behavior of young men, probably can't include this part on YouTube today. It is, it is Trans Tuesday, though, so I guess we have to get to it. Chris Tyson is apparently some guy from the Mr. Beast YouTube channel. I don't watch the Mr. Beast YouTube channel. I had never heard of this guy until he decided to leave his new bride and very young child to pretend to be a woman and indulge all of his disordered sexual desires and abandon his responsibilities and his family. So this guy, Chris Tyson, uh, six months ago decided that he's going to be a woman. And I assume it's because his brain just got so fried on porn that he, he couldn't resist these demonic impulses anymore. So he, as is often the case and has been showed by copious research. Uh, so this guy, Chris Tyson, has shown off his new transformation. And it, it was very funny. They posted the pictures yesterday and they showed, here's his amazing, or they said her, amazing transformation. And you looked at the pictures and it, the only difference is that it looked like he put some lipstick on. Because he already had kind of long hair. He already looked like a lib, which is to say he looked kind of, to look like a lib if you're a man is to just kind of dress a little bit like a chick. So he, but he put some lipstick on. They said, wow, look at this amazing transformation. I just thought of that meme from the office, you know. Show me the difference between these pictures. They're, they're the same picture. It's just one has lipstick on. Here he is describing that journey of personal growth, quote unquote, which is really decay. Once I came out to myself, it, it was, I came out to myself with my therapist and, mm. it, and it took like, it took like three therapy sessions where I was like, I've known this for a long time. I, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure. And then I was, 
you know, I, I, I know I, and then I was like, I am a woman. And it was, it was hard for me to say that because I was so scared of saying I am a woman and then instantly hearing, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. Because in my head, I fought with that every day. That's the conversation you were having yeah, with yourself. That, there was a voice in the back of my head that just hated me. Everything I did hated me. And it wasn't until like I started accepting myself and being kind to others and like just listening to what my body wanted. Like that's when that voice started going away, started taking HRT. Haven't heard from that voice in a very long time. Where do you think that part of you has gone? I think it's, I hope it's locked away. <laughs> do you think it's disappeared oh, entirely? Yeah. That person, <laughs> that little piece of me. F, F that piece of me, F me. That's what these guys are saying. Nothing that he says can be believed. And do you know why? You know what the, the giveaway is? When he says, look, it's just when I started being kind to people, that's when it all turned around. Being Like you were kind to your wife and toddler? I don't think you were particularly kind to them. I think you were extremely cruel to them and abandoned them and abandoned your responsibilities in life. Even a little toddler, even your own flesh and blood, you freaking degenerate. I don't think that's kind at all. And I have a great deal of pity for him, Okay. Because this is deeply sad, he's obviously a troubled, he very likely with, with the onset of this uh, disorder uh, probably fell into this a little later in life and maybe he fell into it because of his own behaviors and what, I, whatever the cause is, this is deeply sad and extremely disgusting. His presentation is disgusting, his behavior is disgusting, the, the cruel acts that he's committed against his family are disgusting and the way that society is applauding him for very destructive behaviors is disgusting. That's, I, and I have a great deal of pity for him, and I think there are a lot of people like this. And you can tell that, that this is a social contagion. The rates of this kind of identity are doubling and tripling in recent years. And I don't know what that is. Is it porn? Maybe. Is it just the effect of social affirmation? Maybe. Is it because there's something in the water turning the frickin' frogs gay? Maybe that too. I don't know. Maybe it's all of it. Whatever it is, though, it's so gross and sad and disgusting and obviously disordered and having all sorts of cascading social effects. You never see the glitzy interview with this guy's family, do you? You never see the glitzy interview with the trans widows. You never see the glitzy interview with the kids whose lives are going to be completely screwed up as a result of this. Can you imagine the therapy that kid is going to need? It's just a sad fact. And this gets to my extra point here, which is, look, the culture has been very hard on families for a long time, and lots of people have needed lots of therapy for, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, rates of divorce have skyrocketed, family breakdown, and it messes kids up. And when the libs say, well, don't worry, kids are resilient. Oh, kids are resilient. That, I hate that phrase. Because kids are resilient is the thing that people say to absolve themselves of the guilt of screwing up little kids. That's, what, that's, all, that's all it is. Oh, kids are resilient. Are they? I think they're very vulnerable, actually. And I think that's why you have obligations to treat them well and to comport yourself with dignity. And when you don't, that's going to screw them up. And that's your fault, man. But it gets to my other point here, which is therapy. Since I just realized when I was with my therapist that I'm a woman. Well, then your therapist should probably lose his license. Because your therapist told you something that isn't true and led you into very destructive behaviors. And people who go see therapists for a long period of time 99 times out of 100, I've seen it not help them. 90 times out of 100, I've seen it hurt them, actually. I think that 
talk therapy can be a good thing. I know at least one person who was cured by it, and that would be Andrew Clavin. I know that there are good therapists out there. I, I don't think psychology is a completely lost endeavor. But just practically speaking, the people who go to their therapists for a long time either just go to get drugs. They're just effectively glorified drug dealers who went to medical school, in, in the case of psychiatrists. Or they, the, the people who go just either stagnate or their conditions get worse. And so if something's not working, then you've got to change it. If, if your behavior is not improving your life and is not in accord with reality, then you've got to change it. You're not going to ever improve or be happy by living in delusion. You're just going to continue to lie to yourself, except when those little glimpses of honesty accidentally peek out. Like at, uh, at the end of that interview there, he says, and I just told myself, F you, myself, F you, I hate you, I hate you, and the you is the me. F you. That, that's not the sign of therapy that's working. That's not the sign of, of a lifestyle that is conducive to your flourishing. Speaking of things people shouldn't be doing, dog meat farmers in South Korea are pushing back on a potential ban. South Korea wants to ban dog meat. I don't like dogs. I don't. Some people ask, are you a dog person? Are you a cat person? I'm not. I'm a people person. I like people. I don't really care for pets that much. I don't hate them. I don't, they don't make me angry, but I just don't like them. And yet, people should not eat dog. Libs think we should be able to eat dogs. Utilitarians think we ought to be able to eat dogs. Materialists think we ought to be able to eat dogs. Because, you know, it's just meat. These people probably think we should eat humans. But we should not eat dogs. And the reason it's wrong to eat dogs, and the reason the South Korean dog farmers are wrong, and the reason that the people trying to reform this are right, is because that's not what dogs are for. Dogs are there to be man's best friend. They're not my best friend, but broadly they are man's best friend. They were bred to be man's best friend. And that's why it's especially cruel. In a way that it's not cruel to kill and eat a cow, kill and eat a pig, kill and eat a chicken. The dogs are there and were bred, even if you just want to look at a purely historical, evolutionary kind of view of it, to say nothing of a deeper philosophical view. They're there to be our mate and our help and our buddies and our companions, and it's wrong to eat them. That's why, that's why it feels wrong to eat a dog. I've never tried eating a dog, but that's why I would not be inclined to eat a dog, even though I don't like them all that much. It, it, it's the, the C.S. Lewis argument for it. It's not that dogs have rights. They don't. It's not that animals have rights broadly. They don't. But when we when we do things like torture animals or when we do things like eat dogs, it deadens our humanity because we are violating a kind of uh, metaphysical uh, concord that we have with, with dogs. And we're, we're violating the proper order of nature and, and the ends to which these things are ordered. Okay, it's Trans Tuesday. Now that I've just done pro- probably what's effectively a three-minute show on YouTube today because of my digression into the Mr. Beast guy, uh, we will get into Tranny Tuesday. That's the day uh, for the member block. We can't talk about it on YouTube, so you've got to head on over. If you're a member of the Hoi Polloi and you're not watching on Daily Wire Plus, then you've got to come over right now. Go to dailywire.com. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.